My guest today is Shebra Hackett. Among many things that she's involved in, Shebra owns an Allstate insurance agency in Grand Prairie, and we talked today about how she got into the insurance industry and then came to own her own office. We discussed the great things that come from owning your own business and some of the challenges that come from balancing family and community priorities with running a successful business. Shebra is also involved in several local community advocacy and networking groups, such as the Seroptimist International of Grand Prairie and the Grand Prairie Metro Rotary Club, where today she'll be installed as the 2021-2022 president. Shebra is always so delightful to talk to, and I'm so glad to have had her on for her to share some of her experiences as a business owner, a mom, and a volunteer in her community. And now, here's Shebra. Hi, Shebra. How are you? I am great. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm so glad that you had a chance to, that we had a chance to talk, because we had tried to do this early, like a while back. And then it just, it, everything happened. It did. I remember you reached out to me and asked me, I think when you first started and then I, stuff happened. I think that was prior to the pandemic and everything. Yeah, it, it, it might've actually been. And, um, you know, and then the pandemic hit and it was just kind of interesting, but I have, I have, you, you've been on my list for a while. And so, um, I'm just so glad, but I tell, so you and I had actually met each other through, uh, Rotary, which we did on Tuesdays. Okay. And so that's how you and I got to know each other, but I don't know much about your life prior to being, um, an insurance agent and, and now an owner of an insurance, um, agency. So tell everybody kind of, well, first of all, did you grow up in Grand Prairie? No, I did not grow up in Grand Prairie. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, as a matter of fact. Um, I grew up in the heart of Oak Cliff, Texas. Wow. And my grandparents lived uh, right off of downtown in a neighborhood called Arlington Park, right behind St. Paul Hospital. Uh, the neighborhood is still there. Uh, it was one of the first neighborhoods in the um, Dallas city limits where uh, black people bought houses. So my grandparents were one of the first homeowners uh, in, in Dallas proper, uh, in that neighborhood that was pretty much the majority black people. Wow, so um, what year was that that they bought a house? I wanna say they bought their house in the 50s, I want to say is when they bought their house. Wow. Um, but they were very proud homeowners. I grew up, um, spending most of the week with my mom, but most of the, all of the weekends and all of the summers with my grandma and my granddad at their house. Uh, he, the, the yard was immaculate. Um, <laughs> they took care of the house, the furniture. We couldn't even play in the living room. We, she, almost, she almost had plastic on the stuff and it was, you know, they took pride in it because, you know, they, they really felt like they had achieved by being able to own the home. So that's the environment that I grew up in. Now it's something totally different because the people that own the, those homes have either, they're too old and they, or they've passed away and their children and their grandchildren are there or it's rental property and it's not the same and it's not treated the same anymore. Um, but that's, that's the environment in which I grew up in. So 
Um, so, did, I, so did both of your grandparents work? Were they, were they, and what did they do for yeah. a living? Well, my grandmother worked until she hurt herself on a job and then she became disabled. So she was, she was 100% disabled. But my granddad worked until uh, he decided he wanted to retire. He was a, um, a truck mechanic on the 18 wheelers. Ah. And then he retired and he opened his own shop. And I believe that's where I got my entrepreneurial spirit from. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he always believed, you know, you, you, you can have whatever life you want to have if you just have to make it for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you plan and you do what you need to do, then, and you can do that. So when my mom got married, um, right out of high school to my dad, um, he made, he, he gave them money to buy a down, a, the down payment for their house. He was like, I don't want you in an apartment. I want you to have a house. Mm -hmm. So he, they got a house out in Plano, Texas. Wow. Um, where there was nothing. <laughs> it looked like we were going to the country. There was no nothing out there, literally. Um, when I was little, I would run around and play. I was, you know, but my parents got divorced. And so once my parents got divorced, my stepdad, I mean, my granddad said, okay, I still don't want you in an apartment. I need, you know, you need to raise my grandbabies in a house. So he bought a house and had her to pay him back for it, but it was this huge lock they split in half. So when he retired, he took the back half and built his garage. Oh. And so that's that's where that's where he worked every day. When we came home from school, wow. he was back there, y'all would, you know, day in, day out. That's what he would do. Wow. And my mom was my mom's teacher. And um, my dad was in and out. Um, uh, he he took care of me when we were little, um, monetarily, but he really wasn't there in person. So I didn't really grow up with my dad in the house. So I watched my mom struggle to take care of all three girls and make sure we had what we needed. And um, that's where my drive and, and perseverance comes from, my grandparents and my mom. Three girls. Yes. That's, I I'm the oldest. I, I'm the oldest of three girls too. My, my poor football coach of the dad did, just was like, oh my gosh, y'all just so different than boys. Like we would, we would fight and, you know, be so loud. <laughs> He's like, um, and my mom was, my, my parents were both educators. So your mom, did she, what, what grade did she teach? Kindergarten. Oh my. So she had a lot of patience. <laughs> she had patience for the students. <laughs> She didn't have patience for us. I know exactly yeah. how you feel. <laughs> when we got home, the rule of thumb was we walked through the door. You cannot call her name or approach her for the first 30 minutes about anything unless you would die. Sounds about right. <laughs> That's about right. After that 30 minutes was up, she would come out of her room and she would start getting dinner together. We'd talk to her about our day or whatever. She'd be good. But if you... If you encroached on that 30 minutes, you paid the price. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up in Grand Prairie? And when did you get here? Um, I came to Grand Prairie um, because I got married. Um, I went to, well, I um, went to University of Texas at Austin mm -hmm. uh, after graduating from Skyline High School. And um, when I, I got, I met my, um, now ex-husband there and when we came out of school we were looking for 
a place to live. We didn't really know where we wanted to live. We, of course, didn't have any kids yet, but my mindset was, let me figure out where we want to raise kids, and that's, of course, where we want to try to look to live. And what'd you get your degree? Well, we you both go got... Huh? I said, uh, before you go on, what did you get your degree in when you graduated? Finance. Finance. Uh, I originally went... I originally went for architectural engineering is what I went for because that's the cluster that I was in at Skyline High School. Oh. But it just so happened the bubble burst my sophomore year at UT and the market just dried up. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw people when I was a sophomore, students that were graduating as seniors and not able to find jobs. Mm. So that made me have to try to diversify and say, okay, I don't want to be in that particular situation so let me see what what do I have the most credits in so that I can graduate and it was either math or finance so I I did um, major in finance and minored in that oh cool so anyway I'm sorry I interrupted you so you were looking for a place to buy a house we were we were looking for a place to buy a house um, and but we both got jobs in Irving when we graduated, I he, I graduated first, and then he graduated the semester after me. And my I came to work with Allstate because my um, grandmother's best friend was a claims adjuster, and had been a claims adjuster for thirty years for Allstate. And she told me that I needed to apply, I needed to make sure I could type without looking at my hands, and that I needed to apply because Allstate was a good company. So that's what I did. <laughs> And, and I've been here ever since. So did and you so, really get your uh, when I got, license or did you just like work in an office to start off with? Well, when I first started, like I said, when I graduated, at, uh, I graduated with the finance. So I got hired on in the controller department for finance with Allstate. Gotcha. And so, but it was in Irving. So that's how we ended up finding an apartment in Irving while we looked for a house. And so um, I was in the controller department for 11 years. Mm. And um, I made it all the way up to a, uh, a finance manager role. And then my world kind of fell apart and I went through divorce. Mm. And I, you know, as you go, when you go through divorce, you make all of these um, evaluations about yourself and your future and what you want to do. And I've been there. Wanted to advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not the easy I wanted time. to advance. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. But plus, I had two little babies. Uh, my babies were three and two oh, wow. at the time, and I wanted to advance. But the only way to advance at that time would have been for me to move to Chicago. I mean, Northbrook, Illinois, right outside of Chicago, mm. which is where Allstate's home office is, and do a temporary assignment for six months. Mm. And I was like, I can't take my babies to Chicago for six months by myself. What? That that wasn't feasible. So he said, Well, why don't you be an agent? And I thought, I don't want to sell. I don't, I'm not a salesperson. I don't, I don't know how to sell stuff. No. Um, so I kept saying no, and he kept saying, you should. And finally, I actually thought about it. And so, said, so I took the track to be an agency manager. And because I didn't have any sales experience, they made me go work in an agent's office for six months. The agent office that they put me in was in Grand Prairie. Oh. And that was Marilyn's husband, Bill Gonciorek. Okay. I did not realize that. That's so interesting. Yes. Yes. So I worked for Bill in his office for six months to gain my sales experience in order to become a sales manager. 
Um, but I was knocking the ball out of the park. I was blowing away my numbers. And he was like, why do you want to be an agency manager? Why don't you just be an agent? I said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, would you rather manage your own office, hire your own staff, do what you want to do, or manage 30 people that act, think, and look like you? I said, I think I'd rather have my own office and hire my own staff and do what I want to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said, I think you would too, so you need to be an agent. So that's how I got to Grand Prairie. Uh, that's how I became an agent uh, because I was going to be an agency manager, a sales manager. Um, but I decided to do that and I have never looked back. It was the best decision I ever made. It gave me the freedom to go to all of my kids' events at school, all of the theater performances, all of the volleyball games, all of the PTA, this and that. I was able to do all of that because I could set my own schedule. Um, and still, because that was extremely important to me. I, I wanted to be at everything that I could possibly be in or, or attend um, because that's what my mom did with me. She was at everything. Uh, not to mention, we were in the same school most of the time, but that's why, that's the way I grew up. And so that's why I wanted to provide for my kids. So it's that, that was my driving force for becoming an agent. I'll tell you right now, like, you know, being, being a real estate agent, that's exactly, there have been so many times that I've said, maybe I should just go get a job where I get, you know, like a regular salary or, you know, I have a little bit more, you know, stability with my income. And every time I think that, I think, no, because I'm give, now I've been doing this for eight years and to give up that ability to see my daughter, that's exactly what it is. I take her to school every day. I pick her up from school every day. And that's not to say that, you know, there's been times that I have worked full time, you know, with hours and set hours and she's had to go to um, daycare. I mean, I've never been home, but it's, it's definitely a motivation to keep you in something like working for yourself because that's not everybody has that motivation or understands their why when it comes to working for yourself and so you know and I don't know about you but maybe you could tell me a little bit you know for the maybe anybody that's listening that's considering leaving a job and maybe starting your own you know endeavor it took a little bit of time for me to get used to the autonomy of actually working for myself and knowing that I had control over myself. So was that kind of a little difficult for you to get used to? Uh, for me, no. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because when I worked at Allstate Corporate, um, it was stressful to me. I don't like traffic. And we had to get up extra early. I had to get the kids ready. I had to drop them off extra early get them to school, drive to Irving, and then fight through the traffic or whatever, and then get off work, try to fly home so that I can get them picked up on time or get my mom to pick them up. Then there's the stress. Then I got to, you know, try to figure out how to make time for homework. And then we got to cook dinner. And then at some point in time, we got to try to spend some quality time before it's bedtime. And do. once I walked away from that, and I could set my own schedule and I could get up and take my babies to school in time so that they were actually getting in class when it was time and not having to sit outside and wait. And I could pick them up and not have to do after school care and all that. There was no way in the world I was going back. <laughs> You're like, that was for me. So, so me, adjustment time, no, I would say I did, after I did it, I didn't have that issue. 
Now, my concern about stepping out there, stepping out on faith, was getting not having the consistent paycheck. Mm-hmm. That was one of my biggest fears because I took it up, even though their dad was still paying child support and all of that, I still, to me, that's not permanent money. You know, I, I'm never sure that I'm going to get that. So I had to make sure that there was a way for me to provide for my babies. And so from stepping out on faith, that took a huge, that was a huge faith step for me to begin it. But because my my uh, boss at the time believed in me and had seen everything I've gone through. He helped me to work it out so that I did not miss, I didn't miss a paycheck. So when I walked away from Allstate corporate and became an agent, I, Allstate still paid me for three months. Oh. Because when you, when you, because I had enough time built up and I had back pay and I had other uh, um, severance pay and stuff like that, that I took when I left. So he structured it so that I could get, paid for the next three months my regular pay and because when you start an agency commissions come in a month on a month lag so I would have had to go for two whole months without pay wow if he if we had not been able to work that out so once he was able to to get rid of that fear and ease that that was it for me I it was it was all it was already all green lights at that point I was ready to go it's yeah I started doing my um I started, I was an agent for several years before I ended up getting a divorce. So I had the kind of the, um, the stability of my spouse's income, but I don't, it would have been a lot different if I was divorced at the time and made that decision to start doing something like that. It it would have been harder, but um, for, so I guess when, when you became a new business owner, and I'm all about people starting something that just belongs to you. Even if it's just a side, something that you can do that gives you another stream of income that, you know, you have control over that money a little bit more, um, especially in, you know, having gone through the pandemic, um, you know, just having, having the ability to be able to think about that from a, from an independent standpoint of, I can make my money. I have control over how much money that I can make instead of maybe having that salary cut, you know? Um, so I'm always a big proponent of it. What was something that was the, the most difficult for you when it came to like starting a new business? Cause in, insurance agents are a little bit different. Cause don't you, you have to have an office. So you have to have some overhead and things, correct? So Things are a little different now due to the pandemic. They mm-hmm. they they greatly vary the types of agents that you can that are available. But when I started, no, there were no options. You had to open it um, a storefront. It had to be you have to have staff, um, and you have to uh, set up your pay structure. You have to have um, licenses i had to get my licenses and maintain there's an annual fee to maintain them mm-hmm. um that type of thing so yeah there are certain things you have to do in order to be an agent the biggest hurdle by far is hiring people mm. keeping good good motivated honest trustworthy producing people um that is that is the biggest challenge, and 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 that will never go away. I you you fight that challenge over and over and over again. I want to say two years ago, I had a complete staff change, a complete overhaul. I I 
I started with me and my sister. Uh, she came in to help me answer the phones because I had no staff. I got I got rid of everybody because it, was, it had just gotten to that point. So then you got to rebuild and you got to get it back together. And it's like you just then you have to find people that can get along with each other and work together. <laughs> that because if you put if you put the bad uh, one bad person in the mix of the team, it blows the whole team up. Mm-hmm. So especially that, a small that office like that. Yes, and we, there's only four of us here, and there's only four. I've tried. I've also tried to hire guys. I've I've had two guys, but guys don't do. I, I it, it doesn't work very well for me. I'll say. Yeah, it. You're you're so right. Like whenever I was in the restaurant industry, I was a service manager at Texas Roadhouse for a long, long time, and you know it was just. Oh really? Yeah, it, it, and I learned a lot about um, hiring, and then looking at people's work ethic, because when you have like, especially in the, when you're waiting tables, you have such a mix. There's people that are trying to provide for their families. There's other kids that are in college. There's other kids that might not have even graduated high school yet and still live with mom and dad. So everybody has their own, you know, reasons for working and their own amount of money in their mind that they think is okay. So once they get there, they don't want to do anything more. And then there's other people that I would find would work constantly and pick up tables all the time because they just wanted to make as much money as they possibly could. So watching people and their, you know, just their work ethic and their motivations. And um, it's, it's really hard. And when you're the one that's in charge of that and you need to get them to understand that they need to be producing when they're not really motivated, it's a lot harder than people think that it is. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I have I had to learn that um, I took a leadership class a long time ago, and I really had to go. I had to go find my book and pull it out and look at it because when you talk about these different personality types and how to motivate them and how to get the the, the best out of them, uh, it it was very useful to me to to recognize you know different people that you're dealing with and different approaches to take because everybody's motivated by different things. You just have to figure out what motivates the person. That's exactly right. And it's so funny. Look, not funny. It's not funny at all, but it's, it's, it's interesting looking around right now and seeing the, the labor shortages and the people are all these restaurants, especially in you know, are having so many problems. Mm-hmm. Finding work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think they that can make more money staying at home. That, that's exactly right. And I, I made a post the other day and I said, if you see anybody that's in here, that's like, you know, not, not dependent on their parents, you know, they're no longer on their IRS taxes and they're working and they're waiting tables or they're doing all these things. They're there because they're choosing to be. And those are really hard workers that want to come in and be productive and uh, give them a, give them a, you know, thumbs up, give them an extra tip or whatever. Cause that says a lot, you know, I feel like that's kind of, that's, that's integrity. And that's just wanting to, to work hard just because you want to work hard. And I feel like when you're a business owner, there's a certain level of that that you really have to have if you're going to be doing it for yourself. Um, yeah. Because that mediocrity can keep you from from really pushing yourself to do new things. And mm-hmm. it's, but you, but insurance is one of those. And, and you know, if anybody's interested in being a, an insurance agent, insurance is one of those where it's residual, right? Like once you sign it up, then it's kind of, you have recurring customers. And so you're, you're not only trying to sell, but you're also trying to keep. And we have what's called retention. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, we are responsible for maintaining a certain retention level based upon our current book of business. So yes, we can't just, but we also have a growth goal. So you have to sell new business too. You can't just sit back and nurture the old ones and don't sell any new. And you can't just focus on the new or the old. You gotta be able to do both. Yeah, it takes a lot. That's for sure. But, and so now, so your kids are how old now? Are they still in school or have they graduated? Yes, I have a fresh, well, well, this year is almost over. So I have a freshman and a sophomore in college. Oh, in college. So they've graduated yes. high school now. Yes. Yes. So, I'm, broke. I'm very broke. Yes. <laughs> well, that explains a lot about how you are able to do some of the other extra things that you do because your kids aren't little anymore. And you, right. so you, and one of the reasons that you and I came to know each other is because like I said, a, a rotary and, um, that is a that is a service organization that requires some extra time, but you're also a part of mm -hmm. Optimus. And so maybe talk a little bit about like why you find service to be important and kind of what those two groups do. And if there's anything else that you're doing also. Well, I um, service giving back is very important to me because I wouldn't be where I am if some if someone didn't give back to me. Um, there was an organization that uh, one of my grandmother's neighbors start and she used to come pick me up on the weekends on Saturdays and take me to her um her her meetings and they learned life skills they learned um you know self-esteem self-worth you know typing how to dress for an interview uh how to back that back then it was uh, word processing and uh fax machines and all that kind of stuff teaching you how to use all that kind of stuff so that was crucial to me because somebody poured into me. So it's important to me to then return the favor. So in any organization that I'm a part of, I'm always looking for uh, the youth component. You know, how can I help the kids? Um, what are we doing in, to, to, to pour back into the, the children um, and, and in any shape, form or fashion? So when I was, uh, when my kids were little, my time was limited, as, as, as you know. Mm -hmm. So I was more involved in whatever they were involved in. So if, uh, with theater, I was on the booster club uh, for theater. I was on the volleyball booster club when my daughter was on the volleyball team. I became the president of the booster club, the PTA, all that kind of stuff. So, but then once they got out of school and went to college, then that freed me to be, I was still at the time heavily involved in helping us help her in Rotary, um, but not, to the capacity that I would have liked to be because I didn't have a lot of extra time. Mm -hmm. But now that I do, um, it's very important to me to keep giving back and to reach back and pull someone else up because somebody pulled me up. And um, I, I'm involved, first and foremost, I'm, I sit on the board. Um, it's an organization that helps young girls, kind of similar to the organization that I was involved in when I was younger. That's why I'm so attracted to helping us help her because it's the same, mantra the same vision the same mission the same age group of girls 13 to 18 whole nine yards say that so, again the name of it helping us help her that's what i thought that, okay yeah yes. I've, I've heard of that we're gonna go by her yes yes. Yeah. yes when i sat on the commission oh. and community improvement commission i think because it's an, it's a fairly new organization in terms of it has no, been around 10 years oh, it's been around 10 years, 10 years. 
Well, she, I think that she came, maybe it was just new that she had tried to come and, and sit before the board to get maybe some of some additional funding. And I hadn't yeah. had a chance to hear, hear about that, but it sounds, when you were talking and saying what you had done as a kid, it sounded exactly like that. And um, yeah, yeah, that's a really cool organization. Yeah, so that, it is. So that, like I said, that's, that's what helps me. And I, and I'm, then my daughter went through it all the way up to eight. She still is a part of it now. They, they then, once they turn 18, they move to the mentorship side uh, and they help the other young girls that are coming through the program. So I love it. I, I will be a part of it for as long as it allows. Um, I also, then I, I um, Marilyn invited me to Rotary. And so she kept, she kept asking and kept asking and kept asking, you need to come to Rotary. You need to come to Rotary. I was like, Marilyn, I don't have time to come to Rotary. She said, yes, you do. <laughs> So I finally went to a Rotary meeting, and when I went to the meeting, I mean, it's just infectious. The, the love and the camaraderie and the serviceable self-mindset and attitude just drew me in. I was gone, hook, line, and sinker. So um, that's why I, I'm a part of Rotary as I am now, and I'll be the upcoming president for the Grand Prairie Metro. So I'm, um, pray for me. Um, well, I'll be, I'll be coming to visit again, I think. So Sandy has been on me. Sandy, has been on yeah, I know. Sandy, got to come yes. back. You've got to come She's back. Membership chair. She, yes, go get them. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, along with along with helping us help her in Rotary, I, the 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 next thing that I, I devote the, a whole lot of my time to is Seraphimist. And I got involved with Seraphimist because they recognized Dandrian Gray, who was the founder of Helping Us Help Her, for a Women in History Award. And they, they couldn't get a hold of her, so they called me. So when they got, because I'm the finance director, I'm on the board. So they they called me and told me that they were trying to get a hold of her. And we went and we went to this whole the gala and everything, and they gave her this award. And I was like, this program, this this organization sounds pretty good. What what is this? I've never heard of this. I've been in Grand Prairie ten years. You know what's what's going on? And so once I got to looking into it, Serotimus is a hidden gem within Grand Prairie. It's not just in Grand Prairie. It's, a, it's an international organization of, of women helping women and young girls is basically what it is. And uh, I, this year I am sitting president. So, so I go from being president of Seroptimus. Now I'm going to, starting in July, I will end my presidency with Seroptimus and I'll pick up one for Rotary. So the moral of your life is, or the, the, the mission of your life is don't just do it, do it all the way. <laughs> serve, I'm going to just go all out and be on boards and yeah. yeah. Well, I told them, I said, as long as my kids were in school and I was, I had major roles in the booster clubs, like I can't, I can't take on a leadership role. I can't. And I, and I read that excuse as long. I mean, I wrote that excuse as long as I could possibly write it. But as soon as I said they graduated, oh my God, they passed. <laughs> so but it is great I, I love Seroptimus you know they pour back into the community they do a lot of behind the scenes that people don't know about but um, we have a program for uh, girl of the month that we were trying to that we were doing with uh, GPISD where they the counselors choose the girls and send them over and we recognize them and we give them we love on them and we have a little um, uh, brunch for them and, and it's just a place for them to shine let them, let them know that we appreciate their work and, and, and we love them and we're going to keep up with them. And it goes all the way through. Uh, we also do an all A awards program through GPISD. Um, we sponsor it at, the, at South Grand Prairie High School, but if, if 
the student maintains A's all the way from, I think, the seventh grade all the way through. They, they matriculate through the program. They get a scholarship. They get plaques, and they come to the awards program, and it's packed every single year. It's standing room only at the theater at South Grand Prairie when we, wow. when we have this program. Now, the last couple of years, due to the um, pandemic, we haven't been able to have an in-person event, but uh, it is every year that the number of seniors that we recognize just grows and grows and grows. These kids are amazing. They're doing wonderful things and we we like to recognize them. But Sorothemis does a lot within the community to, uh, it's for the advancement of women and girls. So we also have, we're introducing a Women Helping Women grant available to entrepreneurs within in, in, in the Metroplex. And you can, you can apply apply for it. Anybody can apply for it. Um, we can also nominate people for it, but it comes along with a membership for a year into the club and a monetary donation to help you with your uh, your business venture. Wow. And we also offer scholarships to uh, women that are um, called Live Your Dream scholarship and the women that are heads of household that are trying to finish their schooling. And they apply and there's, they can get money at our local level. They can get money at the district level. And if they keep on going and keep winning, they can win all the way up to national. Wow. So that's yeah. amazing. You know, like, and I, I want to say, and I feel like Seroptimus, if I'm not mistaken, was started by Ruthie Jackson. Didn't she, wasn't she one of the, she was one of the founders. Yes. Yes. Was because there was an Optimus she club, which is the men's group. And that and I, I seem to remember when I came one, I, I think I came and presented one time at the, at the Sharptimus Club and I saw all those pictures all over everything. And of course, there's Ruthie Jackson, you know, everywhere. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. And you being somebody that's, you know, a Grand Prairie transplant that maybe didn't grow up here. Um, you know, Ruthie was just, you, I'm sure you know her, you know, Miss Ruthie, but she was yes. such a tremendous she pushed for so many things. If there's if there's things that exist in Grand Prairie, chances are she had something to do with it starting. If it's been a long time, and she's actually yeah. one of the people that I thought about as I've, you know, as I've grown up in this town, and then then I became you know a business owner and I started getting involved with things. And now that I have this podcast, you know, you talk about mentorship, and I'll tell you that if there's anybody that epitomizes mentorship, it was, it was Miss Ruthie. And she was so very passionate about training other people and to pour into other people to, to do stuff for your community. And it's a real lesson in civics that we just don't get anymore. Um, and I, and, and these kinds of groups just provide those kinds of, of lessons in civics and how to be a good citizen and how to pour back into your community. And, um, you know, it's it's really important to me, as it is you, to make sure that we find opportunities to teach the young generation how to grow up to be the next leaders, because this Grand Prairie wouldn't be what it was if we didn't have that. You you see it all around you. You know, you were talking about Marilyn. Uh, I think about Greg Geisner, who is, you know, the, the son of Angela Geisner, and he's now in city council because Jim Swafford made sure that he got trained and, you know, Ron Jensen, that was trained, all these things. And it's like, if we don't have people of our generation that, that, that are teaching these young people how to do it, they're not going to know how, and they're not going to have the direction about where to go to become good involved citizens. So I feel like that is just so very important. I'm sure you agree. Yes, definitely. Do you find yes, that definitely. these 
do you find that these kids, I, I feel like maybe a misconception of, we all have the misconception of the next generation, like, oh, they just don't care. We care more than, we, than, than they ever will. But I don't think that that's true about this generation. I think this generation coming up really is, wants to be involved. It seems like that. Yes. Yes, as long as we keep setting good examples and making and making opportunities for them to make a mark, I think they are going to far outshine anything that we we have attempted to accomplish. Oh, I I and agree. <laughs> they have so many more tools. They are so much. They they are they 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 can run circles around you technologically. They can do a oh, it's great, it's it's awesome. Now the, the the challenge is, from what I have seen in dealing with our youth, and I'm oh, I've missed a part. I'm also extremely involved in my church, so I I'm a youth director at my church at Sunset Baptist Church. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from what I see with my, my kids at the church, and and we're dealing with helping us help her, and Seraphimus. Um, they have, we, we have to urge the social piece of it. Um, sometimes I see that they're missing the social piece of it, that, you know, we used to go outside for hours upon hours at a time and just play with each other and make up in our own minds, our own make-believe worlds and, and, and entertain ourselves and be perfectly fine with that mm-hmm. and come back in the house when the streetlights came on. This generation doesn't have that. They, they it has to be initiated by something such as a video game or, a, or, or, or something else that, that, that generates that. They're, they're not self-moving is what I'm trying to say. So I think as long as we try to make sure we, we nurture that side and beat that up and challenge them on, in those aspects, oh, they're going to be awesome. They're going to uh, be awesome. It's so funny that you said that because I literally just released an episode with my childhood friend that I grew up with. That was my neighbor. Um, we met each other. When we were little, little, and we were we were having a conversation one day because I was looking around and I was like, I just saw so many things on Facebook about kids, teenagers that are struggling, and and a lot of that's because of the pandemic. But I don't think that's everything to do with why some of these kids are having so many so many mental health issues, just being depressed and being anxiety ridden. And there's all these different things. And I was having this conversation with her about what can we do to help that? And, um, you know, we had this exact conversation about when we were young, we knew all of our neighbors on our street. We knew you, you were talking about your, your grandmother's neighbor that would take you and do things with you. Well, the same thing was true for us when we were little. And I think that with all the technology and maybe some of the fear of who your neighbor might be, you know, we went through the eighties where it was kids were getting taken and that was a big, huge fear that we all had. I think that there's, there's, we're at a place now where we do have to be really intentional about getting these kids involved and not just assuming that they don't want to be, cause I really think that they do. I just think that nobody. They do. I, yes. They just don't know that they do. Right. right. That's what I say all the time. They just don't know that they do. <laughs> right. I was watching an episode of Modern Family. And so one of the one of the, the oldest daughter, I think she lost her phone. And the whole episode was about how she had noticed that the flowers smell good. And like, there's all these birds in the sky. And she was like, <laughs> she didn't have, her phone. She, have y'all ever noticed that these flowers smell really good? And her parents, like, she was so and it was, it was funny, but it's true. My daughter is the yeah. same way. I've, I've taken away her phone basically for the end of the school year to finish math. 
And um, she's so much more engaged when she'll, she'll go outside and play by herself or she'll, she'll go next. I mean, she'll literally go to the neighbors and talk to them and just say, Hey, I just wanted to come say hi. She's 10. And, um, and so, but I think that we have to encourage that. And especially in our community, especially in our churches, you know, making sure that we're really reaching out to these kids and giving them responsibility to do something. Cause I think that's another thing that they're missing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, we, we have to do, we have to take a responsibility and make sure that that gets done. Mm-hmm. And I saw on Facebook that your church is opening back up for in person. Yeah. Yeah. It was Sunday it was our first in-person service that we've had since the, since March of last year. Were y'all so excited? Oh yes, we were so excited. Uh, it was we were just—you're not supposed to be hugging anybody. Everybody was hugging. It's like we're all gonna have COVID. <laughs> but we were just so excited to be, you know, back at each other's presence. But you know, um, it's the, the fellowship. You just miss the fellowship. You do. You miss people. You are at home. I mean, you, at at first, you know, it was great. You go to church, laying in the bed. You don't even have to get up. You don't have to brush your teeth. You can. <laughs> But, you know, after so long, you know, that can only go for so long. You miss, you miss the interaction with people. You miss, you know, seeing, you miss your church. You miss the pew. You miss the smells of the church. You know, you just miss the church. You miss the, all of that. So, yes, we are more than happy to be back. And try, we're still trying to do it safely, though. Yeah. Um, with the social distancing and the mask and all that lovely stuff. So, you know. But it's, it's, it can't be understated, the, the mental health aspect of just being able to be around other people. Yes. I was listening yes. to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about how we outsource our, san- our insanity, which basically means that we bounce our ideas, it, it, everything that goes on in our heads that gets out of our heads when we talk to other people and are face-to-face with them helps to keep us, you know, and I think that... Same. Yeah. You don't really know how much you miss that until you don't have it. And especially, especially for extroverts, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Yes. Yes. Um, So did you, during the pandemic, did you work from home or were you still going into your office? Well, we were deemed essential. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were closed for about two months, I think. Uh, And then we came back and then everybody in my office got it except me. And so we closed again and went back home and then we came back all healthy and we've been open ever since. So I think probably all in all, we were closed maybe three months, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but for the most part, we were here. We didn't, we didn't, our doors were not open to the public uh, until, um, I forget when we opened back up, maybe, maybe James was open. Do you have a lot of people that come into your office face like anyway? Uh, yes. You do? Oh, okay. I do. I do. Now we do. Well, we didn't realize how many people we had that were coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once you lock the door, you get to see how many people you have. <laughs> right. Um, so we would, we would uh, take, then we took appointment only. And then just of course, everybody that comes in has to wear a mask. But other than that, we, we've been making it work. Uh, no biggie. And so during February, during the storm, did y'all have a lot of people that had called with claims? Oh, yes, ma'am. That was horrific. Yeah. Um, Because I was pretty much the only one of my staff that did not lose power. 
Mm. So we all had the ability to work from home. So we had we had computers, laptops at home and all that stuff. So we could work, but uh, you can't work with no power. <laughs> so that was the biggest issue. I, we had agents that didn't have power. So when you're supposed to call your agent to file your claim, but you can't get to your agent because mm. he has no power. We're, you know, we do have an 800 number where you can call and file the claims, but that was, it was, it was really hard to, to make it through that. Um, but we did. And um, I know personally, I probably filed some 25 or 30 claims myself. Wow. Um, not to mention what, what people didn't get me. Um, but that's what we got to do. I thought so much about insurance agents as, cause as a real estate agent going through, well, first of all, when that storm happened, I was like, great. We already don't have inventory on homes. Now anybody that was going to, that was going to list their house and their pipe just burst, that's going to be a problem. And then it was like, okay, now materials are so expensive. So now we got all that issue. It's just been one challenge after another. It's just one of those years. <laughs> Well, one of the biggest challenges we had was um, was the um, remediation piece of it. When people had pipes to burst or things or water all over the place, there was nobody to come clean up the water. Mm. We have a huge shortage of those companies. And I didn't even think about it, but we, we really only use, I'd say probably four or five different companies. But with everybody needing, Getting services, <laughs> you know, it, it, we're, yes, we, we, that was a problem. That that was an issue. It, it just got to the point to where the claims adjusters were telling people, okay, you know, do the best you can. We'll compensate you for whatever you've had to use to clean the mess up, or if you had to turn your fans on or go to the store and buy a fan and set it up. We'll give you allowance for that, you know. So just trying to make it work the best way possible. It's so interesting because I just I just got done interviewing Martin over at Bonaire and we were talking about um, CTE and how the career and technical call, you know, schools that we have at GPSD and how we we now have such a huge pathway for those types of training. And I, as you were talking about your grandfather and he was working on trucks, I was thinking all the mechanics that we now have that are going and working on helicopters or, you know, play auto mechanics. And, you know, I, I started thinking about the, the jobs that are the technical skills, the career skills and those things. And, and, you know, you graduated from college and you had a degree that actually meant something that you could actually get a job. It's not one of these weird, odd, you know, degrees that you pay a bunch of money for and you can't get hired. But I feel like GPISD is putting our kids in a, in a very unique situation because they're teaching them skills that we need because you're you're hitting on something that's very important even as an agent it's hard for me sometimes to find electricians it's hard for me to find plumbers those are all skills and jobs that you probably need to be an apprentice at for several you know hours before you can actually do it yourself and when you're an adult that has a family it's hard to just go be an apprentice and not get paid but these kids are graduating with all this stuff it's just, it's really, puts it's, a, awesome. it, it's, it, it's amazing. And it shines a light on what happens when we run out of people that know how to do those things. And we have to have those people and we want them to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gotta, gotta have them. Gotta have them all day long. We can't, we can't function without it. No. As a society. We can't. No, no. 
And there's these kids are graduating with six figure income. Some of them, it's just crazy. And, and they're employable right away. And, um, you know, I really want them to get a real estate pathway to, cause they can graduate with a real estate license or, um, you know, so yes, I didn't realize how many classes y'all have to take to get a real estate license. Yeah, it's a lot of hours. And then I'm, I'm working on getting my broker's license just so I can have it because you have to have a certain amount of hours, experience hours, which I have. Um, but I had to get 900 hours for my broker's license. And I was like, well, you should take the pandemic and go ahead and do that now. But it's a lot of hours. But these kids can graduate and, and be done by the time they're 18. And because you have to wait till you're 18 and take the test and, and get your agent's license. But um, you know, GPSD is such, such a unique situation for that. Now, when your girls graduated, did they do anything like pathway wise or where do they, where did they graduate from? Which school? Now my daughter graduated. Well, my, both my kids graduated from South Grand Prairie. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. so she was in the, she's on the health pathway. Uh, so she did a internship at Baylor in Irving Wow. when she was at South in her senior year. So yes. She got all of these certifications. She's got, she could, she could have graduated and gone to be um, working a doctor's office, a medical assistant. She could, probably could have um, done phlebotomy. Mm. Um, uh, the, the person she could have done that, but she wants to take it a little further. So that's why, I mean, that's why she continuing. My son was on the theater pathway. Oh, uh, you're it's not really you're a daughter. I don't know why I thought that you had you had sisters. You that's where I got that there was more. Yeah, than- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was on the theater side, so yeah. He they they didn't have it's not a theater quite pathway, but they have lots of theater experiences, and he went all the way to nationals in the competition. So he, that that was great. That is that South is did a great job. That that theater that they have there is is pretty amazing. <laughs> it's it's a professional level theater, and um, yeah, South, you know, and that's not even fine arts. The fine arts academy, I've never even been inside the fine arts academy, the the high school, and I, I'm sure that that's just unreal. But if you haven't been back into a into any one of the high schools lately, it's it's unbelievable what these schools look like. I have not. I haven't been in the school since. Ooh, uh, hmm would probably be February of last year. Yeah. Well, the last time. we went to, cause I graduated from South in 98 and we went and did our 20 year reunion. They gave us a tour of, cause they have a vet tech program. They have the, the um, they have the trainer program back in the athletics building where they, they teach kids how to be, you know, athletic trainers. And then the theater they showed us. And I swear we were walking around and we felt so cheated. We were like, this is so not the school that we went to. And uh, but, but they really have just put so much money into these kids. That nursing program over at Grand Prairie High School is just unreal. Um, yeah, and it's, it's great. Yeah, it just speaks so much to what's important, you know, when we're trying to figure out how to get the next generation up and going. So that they can mm-hmm. take care of us whenever we get to be a little. Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> so I guess one of so being involved, like one of the one of the last questions I'll ask you is I for those people that maybe aren't self-employed, they don't have the flexibility of hours and maybe they're working like a regular job where they're going in for just certain hours. How do you feel like they can be most involved if they wanted to get involved in something in Grand Prairie that's a nonprofit or something? How would you suggest they do that? Um, check the website or or find a person that's a member and just ask them how do they feel about it. 
uh, go to some of the meetings, attend some of the functions that they that they host. A lot of people can't attend meetings. A lot of the meetings are at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So, um, so but but most of the organizations have evening functions. So try to attend a function and see if you like what the organization is about. If you like the people, um, there are a ton of nonprofit organizations in Grand Prairie. Mm-hmm. I am sure that if you want to be, um, uh, if, if you want to be effective at giving back to the community and you want to join this somebody has something that you want to do i'm sure yeah um, so that would be my suggestion by and far just just step out there and go see what they're doing yeah and because don't people can it. talk a lot <laughs> people can talk a lot but see it you got to see what they're doing mm-hmm. see what see where they're investing their time and their money that lets you know the importance of the organization Oh, that's such a good point. And, you know, that's one of the things about local nonprofits. When you're giving money to like, let's say like a, like a, I don't know, a, a huge a Salvation Army or something that's like a whole national thing. You you don't know where all the money is going. But when when you have local nonprofits, there's all that stuff is public information. You can, they, they have to provide certain types of documents. And you know, by the activity that you see in the community, how those how those um, groups are are spending their time and resources, and um, you know, just I, I feel like people sometimes can make it harder than it has to be, or maybe get a little intimidated, or think, oh, I have to volunteer my life away just because you go to one meeting. Just just go, just go once. You'll meet a bunch. Just go of and see if you like it, and then then decide how much time you have to dedicate. Mm-hmm. They will take whatever time you have. Just don't go to Rotary because they'll make they'll y'all all make them stay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way that and Rotary is fun. It really is. I you know I was there for for a couple of years and I'll I'll be back again. Um, but it is it's fun. Be, being involved yeah. and doing those kinds of things are a lot of fun. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it depends on what level you want to to mm-hmm. volunteer and, and and invest your time. It can be as little as once a week doing meals on wheels, or it could be as small as helping with GP who, you know, putting together a meal for a month or what, one time of the month or whatever. Or it could be as involved as doing something on a regular basis or, you know, being a president, you know, it, 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 there are many levels in between, yeah. you know, you find where you fit in and do what's most comfortable for you. Yep. We don't all have to that be president. You don't all have no. to be on the board of directors and do no. We do no, we do not, not at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and and not to say that you may never. It may not be the time for you right now. Maybe later on. Never know. It's funny once you start to do it that and you get down to that pathway where like people know that you're really capable and you're really doing a good job like that's something that you get on this trajectory and you're like before you know it you're on four different boards and you're doing all these things you're like I gotta learn to say no occasionally. I'm I'm a living witness. Yeah (laughs) me too. Uh, um, well, I'm going to link, I'm going to link the information to your agency so that anybody, if anybody has any insurance needs that they can know how to contact you. And, uh, now your office is on the North side, right off of, is it off 161? Yes. Um, our address is Northwest 11th street, uh, in Grand Prairie, right off, right next to the Albersons, uh, right there, uh, at, uh, Carrier in Maine. Did you move? No. Oh, I- I don't know why you were at, at the, there's, there's another insurance agency, um, 
just off of Egyptian, like right there. I don't know why I thought you were at that location, but yeah, that makes sense. You're no, no, no. That's no, I've been here. Uh, when I first came to this office, I don't know. Do you remember Bill Bowles mm -hmm. with Chicago title? Okay. Yep. He was the owner of the building when we first, when I first got here in 2008, I've been in this building since April of 2008. And then after he had his stroke and they decided to sell the building, then I bought the building. So it's, I've been here the whole time. So you're, so you own the building now. Mm -hmm. And so do you have any other tenants that are in your building with you? Uh-huh. There's a um, medical training school up front. Uh, I don't know if you know Chris Brigman uh, with uh, United Realty. Yes, he's, in yes. he's, a, he's one of my tenants. Um, I just, I'm almost fully leased. I have one office space left available um, and I'm trying to get that, that leased out, but it just became available this month. So Wow. Um, it's so pretty good. So you don't have just anything going on. You're just like, just, you know, nothing. You're, you're not going, you don't have all kinds of different things. That's, that's awesome. Um, Multiple streams of income. Hey, hey I'm telling you, the more that you diversify all that stuff, it's, it's helpful. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. So if you know anybody looking for office space, let me know. I got, I have a 300 square foot space that I need to get leased. Good to know. Good to know. Well, um, thank you so much for taking your time. I really appreciate you talking to me. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate you asking. It was um, good talking to you. Yes. And I'll see you next <laughs> week, probably. <laughs> I was going to go to the meeting yesterday, but then Sandy said it was a board meeting, not a regular meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a board meeting. Yeah. yeah. Next, next week. Next week. Yep. And if anybody wants to join us, we'll be at, we'll be at Rotary. That's uh, that have, main event now, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. Tuesdays. Tuesdays for lunch. So, but anyway. Yes, All right. Well yep. Have a great afternoon. All right. Bye. Thank you. You too. Bye. Uh -huh. Bye.